on and finishing chapter 16 today, verses 25 through 33. Did you bring what I asked? Oh, okay. At a certain point. Um, I have a little, ooh, there's drama in the room. There's tension, there's wondering. Okay, just focus on the study. It won't really matter. Okay, <laughs> what I asked my wife about. But, uh, you know, I'll, by the way, you know, parables, it's interesting. Figurative language, Jesus is going to say. When I talk, people say, where are you from? I say, well, you know, I, I grew up basically from fourth grade on in Beaverton, Oregon. I say, do you ever you heard of Beaverton? And most people say no. I say, but I, I, I speak in a parable. I say, but, but I think you do know. Did you ever, did you ever hear of Nike? Tennis shoes, uh, home office, original, Beaverton, Oregon. <laughs> Did you ever hear of Intel? Do you have a Pantium processor in your computer? <laughs> Intel, original office, main offices, they've moved around. I don't know where their main one is now, is Beaverton, Oregon. So now you know. So speaking, uh, you know, but you don't know. And that's kind of what Jesus is talking about here. Okay, it's not a great lead-in, but I did something. And these things I have spoken to you in figurative language. All the things he's been saying to them about his leaving, his coming again, they will have sorrow, but their sorrow will be turned to joy. The Holy Spirit's going to come and show them the things that he's saying to them, etc., etc. We won't go over all that in review. But these things I've spoken to you in figurative language or parables. But the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name. I do not say that I will pray to the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. I came forth from the Father, and I have come into the world, and again I leave the world and go to the Father. His disciples said to him, See, now you're speaking plainly and using no figure of speech. Now we are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. Let's stop there for now. How would you tell a person who's been blind from their birth how to, what a sunset over the ocean looks like? How would you explain a peacock? How would you even explain they smell a hot loaf of bread coming out of the oven, of homemade bread? They can feel it and touch it. And, you know, people who are blind have higher heightened sensitivity in their smell and in, uh, and in their um, hearing and et cetera, and their tactile senses. They do. But how would you explain what that, you know, what it looks like? Very difficult, isn't it? You'd give as much relatable information as you could, but it wouldn't really complete it for them unless they could see it. When Jesus sends his Holy Spirit, our spiritual eyes can be opened, and the Holy Spirit can come to us and will come to us in three ways that Jesus described. First, he's with you. That means the Holy Spirit comes to convict you of your need for a Savior, of the truth of God's Word, of who he is, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. He's with you, drawing you to him. Nobody in this room who's come to know Jesus Christ has simply done it through a mental decision. Well, okay, blah, blah, blah. I think I'll believe this. People do that, but they don't really know Jesus. 
you can't come to him unless the Holy Spirit's drawing you. And when the Holy Spirit's drawing you, he's identifiable. He's drawing you, and then he reveals Christ to you. He reveals your need for a Savior. And then you become born again when you receive him. As the disciples did, we'll read later in this book, that Jesus, when he appeared in the room with them, he said, receive the Holy Spirit, and he breathed on them. Now, if you and I do that to somebody, they may fall down under the whatever. <laughs> it would be our breath. But what these guys got was they received the Holy Spirit. Because if Jesus says, receive the Holy Spirit, what happens? That's what happens. And they were born again. Now, other disciples, it wasn't perhaps till the day of Pentecost. Maybe it was along the way. We don't know about the journey except for the waiting. And then when the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came into them. Those, those 12 minus 1, 11 disciples, when Jesus breathed on them. He shall be in you. And all believers, if, if you don't have the Spirit of God, you don't belong to him. But then Jesus said, but the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Wait in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from heaven on high. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. As history progressed, for some people it happened at the same time they were saved. For other people, it happens at a later time, a subsequent time, where the Holy Spirit comes upon you and fills you to overflowing for service, as he did those disciples, <coughs> pardon me, on the day of Pentecost. Other times through the New Testament, you see different ways that the God worked. But one thing's for sure. All Christians need to be filled with God's Spirit and be continually being filled. Ephesians tells us, be continually being filled is the wording. Be filled with the Spirit doesn't mean pick a date and say that's when it happened as much as be continually being filled with the Spirit. And the famous saying is because we leak. <laughs> we deflate. And we need to be encouraged. You don't have to believe in all the things every person when we say the word Spirit-filled, you're not obligated to believe everything every person has to say about it. But you need to know that you have the empowering of God in your life, and wouldn't you want all that he has for you in that? Don't let anything that gets on the weird end of kind of craziness to you stop you. I mean, how many of you drive a car? There's a lot of crazies out there driving. Wait, I'm getting a word. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of crazies out there driving, but I notice that you go out and risk your life every day when you drive that the crazies aren't going to hit you, right? And you're gonna, but you're going to use the car safely, right? You don't text while you're driving, do you? You better not. You get it? Don't shy away from things that God wants. You know, you can sit in your garage all day or you can get in your car and drive it. So let the Holy Spirit have his way in your life. Are, are, are you willing for that? Are you wanting that? Don't use other people's extreme as an excuse because it doesn't help you. It hurts you. Holds you back. So these guys will know these things by experience. Gnosis. They will experience Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is pointing them to this. But they say, as he spoke, we got it. We got it. Now we got it. <laughs> Did they? To their credit, they believe he came from God. But they say, we, we don't have any more questions. Now, that's really funny because even after the resurrection, even after the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost, they still have questions. Do you have questions? 
There are things that we don't understand, and we're not going to know everything. But what an encouragement to him, for the Father himself loves you. But the Father himself loves you. Not, well, you know, Father, you know, Old Testament God, he's really mean and really uptight. And me, Jesus, I'm going to try to calm him down so that you can approach him because he's really ready to, he's really ready to blast you. That's a complete misconception of the unity of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And he that has seen me, Jesus said earlier, has seen the Father. This is what God is really like. If you really want to understand him, you've got to know Jesus. And, and here Jesus is, is sharing the Father's love with them and telling them the Father loves you. You know, we hear people say sometimes, I've heard people say, especially in the 70s, you, you don't hear it much anymore, I just love everybody. Do you ever meet anybody that says, I just love everybody? You know, I don't mean to be cynical. I don't believe them. First of all, they haven't met everybody. <laughs> That's just right off the bat. And, and I think they have this attitude that they think they have something that they don't necessarily have just embedded within their own character and personality. Can I love each person that God puts in my path? By the Holy Spirit, I can't. But I don't just love everybody, but there's somebody who does. You know, God did create all people, and it does say that uh, Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world, and especially for all men, and especially those who believe. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We don't delineate who it is that we know isn't going to come to Jesus and say God doesn't love them. We know God sends his love out through Jesus Christ to the world and to each person, and, and, and each person's going to make their choice. And as far as theology goes and goes down this long road on that, I don't go down that road because nobody can figure all those details out. I don't care how many PhDs they have behind their name. We talk about things sometimes in a way like we just understand it all, that we just don't. But we know that God is love. And if you're sitting here and you're hearing his word, you have the ability to let him in. And he loves you. And you're hearing it, not just from me, but from his word. And so he's, uh, it's just this amazing thing because this love of God and this ability has to come to people. I'm sitting at the, we call it the huddle in New England with the pastors from the region of, the New England region. We kind of crashed their party the last 16 years, and we're a part of that group. I'm sitting there, and I'm not really into the worship of God in the way I want to be as the worship music is playing. You know, maybe that was you here today. You could sense everybody getting into it, but you weren't. You know, that happens to you, doesn't it? But you can make a choice to say, Lord, I want to honor you. Maybe I'm not going to feel like the guy next to me, but I'm going to give my heart to you in this moment. You know, you're free to do that. You're free to believe that God loves you and appreciates you, even if you don't have the same emotion as the person next to you. We're not here to control everybody's emotions. In heaven, it'll all work out perfectly. Here, it's going to be a journey. And, and, but, you know, I was sitting there going, but, you know, Lord, I, I'm seeing my distance from you right now. I'm kind of distracted. I'm kind of feeling a little bad about a couple things. And, and I just started talking to the Lord instead of singing. And it hit me again. And it hasn't hit me for a really, 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 really long time. You're listening to me right now intently. You care, you're the one that showed me where I am. You actually kind of opened my heart to see that I'm distant that I'm being kind of weird, that I'm just kind of not really closing in with getting close to you right now. You're showing me that. 
You're speaking to me. You're listening to me and caring about what I'm saying to you. You actually are right here, right now with me personally, Rick Cohen, right here. And you're with Gail right next to me in exactly the same way as she may need you or be talking to you. And the person next to Gail and the person next to them and every one of these hundred people in this room and then just expand it out all over the world. How do you do that? And, of course, the simple, basic, obvious answer is, now, some people who don't believe, that's why they say, well, how could God be caring about you? You lost your car keys and you prayed and he helped you find them and you give God glory when there's all these big things to do. Well, that might be because your God's too small. You don't see him as a personal God that means, yes, there are bigger things than what I'm interested in. And he wants to change my heart, but he's interested in me and he's with me personally. And if I don't have that relationship with him, I'm very confused in my faith and struggle a lot, extra struggle, because I need to know that he's there. He's not my genie, but I need to know that he's here. And he is. So the obvious answer, he's God. Yeah, but how, though? Well, just think of this. I don't have the answer to the how. He's God. That's as far as I get, too. (laughs) Okay, but think about this. When you get to before the throne of God, as we read in Revelation, when everyone through all eternity who ever loved Jesus is all together at once, that's going to happen. You are going to still have your individual identity. You're going to be the person you are perfected. No shoulder slings. No bad words coming out of your mouth or stupid thoughts. No, you know, all every, no fearfulness and all the other stuff and sin. But it's going to be you, the perfect you, the you you always wanted to be. That's who you're going to be. And you're going to have your individual identity. But you're going to have that with absolute 100% unity with every other person there. Nothing there in perfection separates us, alienates us, keeps us apart from each other, is confusing to us, is distracting to us, is a negative to us about ourselves or others. It wouldn't be heaven. How is that? We're going to be ourselves, but we're going to be in absolute unity with every other person. We are God's creation. We're an expression of his thoughts. We are the result of his speaking. He spoke the universe into existence. So when he said, Carol Sue, boom, there she is. Yeah, we don't believe in normal procreation. We believe, no, (laughs) I understand about procreation. But God has ordained your birth and your place on earth, and he knows you by name. What an amazing thing. So even if you don't feel it, God's word is proven true, and we still have questions. We see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, Corinthians tells us. We know in part, but then we will know even as we are known. What a day that's going to be. The song from my day, oh, what a day that will be. Oh, what a day that will be. There's a lot of songs like that, because that's the day that we're all looking for. But until then, Jesus says to his disciples now, as they say, we don't need anything else. We got it. Here, put, a, put that seal in our little passport. We got it all down. 
Jesus answered, Do you now believe? Indeed, the hour is coming, yea, now has come, that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. It's kind of a downer from this great moment. <laughs> well, Jesus, do you always have to bring us, like, down? <laughs> Indeed, the hour is coming, and has now come, when you will be scattered, each to his own. The footsteps are coming in a little while. He, they're gathering up at the temple courts, you know, and the soldiers, and... Um, uh, and uh, and yet I'm not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, be encouraged, be comforted, be strengthened, take courage. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. <sighs> Do you now believe? Scattered. That's pretty disturbing. So why does he say, I tell you these things that you might have peace? Well, just think if he didn't tell them. Boom, the soldiers come while he's praying in the garden in a few minutes, next week's scripture. And everything, in a a very true sense for them, all hell breaks loose. And they're completely disoriented and discouraged and overwhelmed, and they were anyway. But how much more if Jesus doesn't tell them what's coming? And, you know, um, they would have no reference point later to deal with any of it. Now, here's the $10 billion question. Or maybe 10 Here's the national debt of the United States question. Is Jesus saying, you're all going to disappoint me? You're going to disappoint me. If it was you saying it, if it was me saying it, you better believe it. You're going to disappoint me. But I want to examine that with you for a minute. When someone disappoints you, how was that? You expected something from them, and they didn't produce. You expected more, and you got less. Right? Disappointment. Disappointment on any level is I thought this was going to happen and instead this didn't happen. And instead this happened. Now let me ask you, were they disappointing Jesus? Did he not know what was going to happen? Did he know exactly what was going to happen? Was he prophesying to them what was going to happen? So did he have an expectation that something else was going to happen and it didn't? No. Not at all. So, is Jesus telling them, I expected more of you, you, and I expected better from you? That would bring you the sense of condemnation. And condemnation in believers, self-condemnation, the sense of rejection, the sense of failure that is unfixable, you know, is I have failed. Now, let's stop there for a minute. I have failed. Has anybody here besides me failed? Okay, so the fact that we fail is real. That's We're not saying we never fail. Life's a rose garden, and we're just little rose petals in it. Somebody get out a notebook. Let's write a poem. We're not saying that. But, but, but you know, we do fail, and many times that's true. But the rest of the story that we say in our hearts that happens to people is, and now God is disappointed in me. He's tired of me. He's had enough of me. Well, 
God will discipline the children that he loves. Hebrews 12 says, not for his own frustration of any kind, but for our benefit. Unlike our parents, unlike we as parents, he disciplines those he loves to help them do better because he has more for us and he doesn't want us to miss out. Does God involve himself? Does he care? Does he, does he chasten or discipline his children? Of course he does. No parent loves their child and doesn't discipline them. But it's never because, man, I really, Rick, expected more from you. I can't believe you did this. I'll forgive you, but you'll always know you ticked me off. And I'll always let you know. You know, people have a way of forgiving, and, but always letting the other person know just how, how they failed. And you know what you're doing? You're just taking a gun with an endless amount of bullets and shooting yourself in the foot. And as soon as it starts to heal, you're shooting it again. And you can't walk right. And it doesn't help the other person either. So he chose them. They didn't choose him. He disciplines them, but he knows the end from the beginning. So there's no way in this classic sense to disappoint him. He does want better for us, but this is not an excuse for us to fail, but rather it's a guide to the truth and to help us walk in it. Well, what do you mean? I have it written, W-H-A-D-D-A-U-M-E-N-E. What do you mean? When we fall short, we tend to excuse ourselves on one side, make excuses because we don't know what else to do. It was, it was the woman you gave me. Remember that guy? Name started with an A. Okay. It was the woman you gave me. And she goes, it was the serpent over here, you know, that tricked me. And nobody wanted to tr- tell, tell, take responsibility for it. That doesn't help us when we don't take responsibility for our failure. But we either make excuses or we become obstinate. So what? I'm better than a lot of people. Or it wasn't anything. Oh, you're too, it's, you know, I, I couldn't help it. because It's also part of excuses, but this obstinate thing. Um, we used to go by a ranch in, in uh, southern Oregon. It was called the Obstinate J Ranch. And uh, <laughs> we have family stories about that, but I'm discreet, so I'm not going to tell you any more about it. Uh, you can make up your own. Imagine you're driving with you. pick the person in your family. Oh, there's your ranch. Okay. All right. The obstinate J Ranch. Okay. <laughs> oh, these memories are flooding to my mind. You can make excuses. You can become obstinate, or you can just plain get condemned, which I think is for the average Christian who's seeking God at all, you're more typically likely, you know, you know you can't stick with making excuses. You, you, you know you don't want to be obstinate, but it's very, very difficult to not get condemned. Am I right? Is that very common to our lot, to our tendency? But it's not to be left that way. We get condemned. It's hopeless. Why bother? God's done with me. You've done this, haven't you? Of course you have. You've done every one of these, I bet, and I have. Now, Jesus directs them. He's direct to them, and he meant this for you and me also. I've spoken to you these things that you might have shalom. Oh, the word, the scripture's written in Greek. The language that was mostly used was Aramaic. Shalom is Hebrew, but I'm pretty sure that Jesus 
would speak in Hebrew when he would say the word peace because the Hebrew connotation of peace is deeper than all the other ones in other languages that even when sounds similar, salam, salam, because there's a sense of God's promises in the peace that is spoken. Shalom, God's peace. Shalom, rest and restoration, new beginning. Rest comes from peace, doesn't it? Can you rest if you don't have peace? You can have a quiet room. You can have a recliner by the fire. I've spent many nights by our fireplace in my recliner, and I was not at peace. One of my children was sick or in trouble. Somebody I loved was having difficulty. You name it. And I'm, you know, and I had to get to that point. How do I get to that point of peace? I let Jesus speak to me. I believe that he's in the room with me. He's in my heart. New beginnings. What does it mean when we just read earlier the beginning of service? His mercies are new every morning. Better not happen at four in the afternoon or you're lost. It means it refreshes continuously. You're never going to have a time. As long as the sun comes up, you're going to have a chance to get mercy and have it be renewed in your life. Does that sound good to you? Does that sound necessary for you? It is absolutely essential for me. You get to think whatever you want, but I need mercy all the time. And I need to be refreshed. And I need the peace, the shalom of God. And then he says in the last verse that we read, for he knows our frame and remembers that we're just dust. See, it's pretty hard to disappoint the Lord. And in the sense that we're saying, it maybe is impossible. You get to think that through. Jesus says, if I could put it in my own words and package it in this section, I'm not telling you these things to burden you down or discourage you. That's going to happen anyway. But I am going to restore you from that. I'm going to lead you to green pastures beside still waters. But we got to start here and now. It isn't up to a man like me to cajole people and force them into some behavior pattern suddenly so we all get to feel good about a service or a moment that we're in. But on the other hand, may I speak very frankly and clearly to you. God is the God of the right now. The moment you're in. If you have an opportunity to come forward and just kneel before the Lord or stand there or receive prayer, if you have an opportunity to, to, to make your statement before God, to take a step and a step of faith, don't say, yeah, I'll do that later. Don't shoot yourself in the foot. If God is triggering, triggering your heart to respond to him, you don't need to do anything for me or any other person in any position, a music leader, a pastor. Do you know what I'm saying? An evangelist. You don't have any obligation to be cajoled into some behavior for the sake of the person feeling good about themselves or their event. But you'd be really wise, and I'd be really wise that when God is speaking to your heart and you get a chance to respond, do it now. Do it now. Jesus said about some things, when you bring your gift to the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, set your gift down and immediately go. Before you go on with that thing, go get right with your brother. They didn't have phones. 
or Skype. Do you think Jesus meant what he said? Or was he just trying to be dramatic? Does Jesus ever say anything just to be dramatic? People like me do, and like you do. We all get real dramatic just to... I mean, he did emphasize. But he said, if your gift is brought to the altar and, you, and there's something wrong and you know it that you could fix, not, not you're mad at somebody. It doesn't say that. It says if they're mad at you and you have the ability to go to them, stop and right now go to them. That's serious stuff. That's deliverance. That's freedom because he knows what happens to us. What was that that he said? (laughs) The giant erasers that are on every side of a door of a church exit. (laughs) Or when you're sitting down reading your Bible with your cup of coffee and you close it and you go out your door, the big eraser, (laughs) suck it all out. I'm saying that facetiously. I don't even know how to say that word. Facetiously. Um, I'm not sure why I'm saying this. Yes, I'm going to have a call for people to come for prayer today. It's true, but that isn't. The message I'm sharing with you on this is to act on it now. I'm going to restore you, but we got to start right here, right now. He was already working them ahead for what he was going to do, and he wanted them to, to be as much prepared to respond as they could. We know that he's going to have to come to them. We know that. He rose and he does come to them. They were hiding and they were totally freaked out, but he came and the first words he said were, Peace, shalom. Now, he did rebuke them. When Jesus goes into the room that the disciples are hiding in, and they see him for the first time, he says, peace be to you. And then he rebuked them. Not because, I can't believe you guys. I give and I give and I give, and what do I get? Unbelief. No, Jesus said, he, he, he says, you're going to do this, but he rebuked them, not because they ran from the cross. Did you know that? He rebuked them because others of the disciples, like Mary and the women, had seen him and reported that they'd seen the Lord, that he was risen, and they didn't believe that. They resisted the things he had already told, and he's not afraid to rebuke. Rebuke doesn't mean he's disappointed in you that he thought you were going to do better. It means he's correcting you so you can move forward and receive blessing and experience God. Are you with me on this? There's a huge difference. It's not disappointment. I can't believe you did that. And I believe there's people in this room who absolutely, and I would include myself, but absolutely need to be set free from that concept. You need to let that go. You need to choose that. It's not in your vocabulary anymore. I really disappointed the Lord in what he expected I was going to do. I failed the Lord. That one, we're all on the same page. (laughs) And I get to repent, and I get to be cleansed. The difference is like night and day. So he comes to them. They don't disappoint him. And he tells him, listen, the world is not a place you're going to find safety. You're not gonna, it's not going to provide you with peace. There's nothing in this world that is going to provide you with security and stability and peace. Doesn't mean you shouldn't be faithful with your stuff and providing for your future and be a wise steward. We're not suggesting that. 
we should be wise stewards. But we got to know. And it didn't have to be, we shouldn't have to, it's not based on circumstance. Oh, now that America's falling apart, now I should know. Do you know it's not, oh, now that Columbine happened and every other mass shooting since then, now I should seek the Lord. Now that 9-11 happened, I should be serious. Do you understand? All this was told to us before anything else happens. Things happen all over the world all the time. You can't base it on just an event happening. Yes, could God use an event to trigger someone? Unfortunately, when 9-11 happens or Columbines or Oregon happens, people get excited for a few moments, pray deeply for a few moments, and go right back to where they are. Unless a crisis, for most people, the statistics show that unless a crisis comes directly to you, your life doesn't change. That scares me in a healthy way. Please don't wait for the crisis to come to you. If there's changes that need to happen about your approach to your spiritual life, the dedication, the direction, the whatever, do it now. Because it's God's word, not because there's an event happening, you're going to really need him. That's true, but it's not the whole truth. My tendency is to do that, to say, look, to try to get people's attention by saying, look what's coming. But honestly, what if everything was great in America? You know, there are people who went on the mission field when their life was great and America was doing well, but, you know, God put a desire in their heart to see people get saved. It doesn't always have to be because things are falling apart. And don't you want it to not be that's the reason for you in your life? When things fall apart, then I'll really get serious about God. That's a scary thing. I'm not suggesting you're me telling you you're that. I am preaching the word about that to myself as well. So they, they don't disappoint him, and he's not going to disappoint them. You know, there's no safety in the world, but there's safety and peace in me. So Paul, whose life was filled with trials, was Paul's life filled with trials? Great joy, great trials. And, and Paul, he says, the peace that surpasses all understanding, be anxious for nothing, but in everything. He must have heard from Jesus the same thing that Jesus is telling these disciples when the Holy Spirit came to Paul. Brother Saul, receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. When Ananias, An, Ananias came to him after he was blinded by the Lord and encountered the Lord on the road to Damascus. And later on, he's able to write, in the book of joy, Philippians, written from a prison cell. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ. The peace of God excels. Another way of saying it from actual translation is excels or is better than understanding. There are things we need to understand. We expect to understand. You better be able to understand me to some degree as I'm speaking or this is a waste of time, right? Don't respond to that. Uh, but but we, we need to understand, but it's not the ultimate cure. Hope is the cure. Romans 5.4, hope does not disappoint. Assurance that God's going to fulfill what he's promised. Hope of coming good, absolute assurance. Hope does not disappoint us because the love of God has been poured into our hearts. You know, sometimes we have to go through tribulation. 
Because tribulation works patience, and patience works experience, and experience works hope because God kind of breaks our heart open because you're actually trapped within your own inner person. Don't look at me that way. You're trapped within your own inner person. You are trapped within your own inner person unless Jesus is releasing you, breaking it open, setting you free. And this is a lifelong process, and there are also specific moments where we go through something and God just busts our heart open not to destroy us or discourage us, but to, so he can pour more love and to make our heart bigger, to give room, because we're restricted. Oh, Corinthians, I'm not restricting you, Paul said, when he was rebuking them, when he was pleading with them. He said, I'm not restricting you. You're restricted in yourself. You're all, you're all uptight and frustrated and stuck because you've got to have things your way and God wants to set you free. And he says, I'm the tool to do it if you'll let God use me. But God wants to do that whether he uses me or not. So this beautiful thing that God wants to do in our lives, oh, I'm not saying it's easy. Do you tell people just follow Jesus? It's easy. <laughs> Just pray and he'll do everything you want. <laughs> I mean, I don't know the person where that's even happened. Um, and I don't know the person who just loves everybody. <laughs> but I know God does. You know, the psalmist said, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Hope in God, who is the help of my countenance, the one that's going to actually lift me, give me courage and encouragement. I suggest, can you get those for me? Drum roll. I suggest you get a pair of these. I meant to have them on stage, but I didn't get to Gail in time before I came up here. And they were at home. I suggest you get a pair of these. For the millions listening over the internet, what are these? Nikes. By the brand, Nikes. I'm a rather, uh, I was supposed to grow really tall, but it didn't quite go that way. <laughs> but I wear a size 13. But these are Nikes. You know, I don't like to do drama very much, but I'm going to be very dramatic right here by these. The Nike shoe. I, you know, who here knows what the word Nike means? It's Greek. Victory. Give that man a basket. That's great. You know, victory. And the word, I have overcome the world is Nikeo, which comes from, it's just a, a slight derivative from the word, word, word Nike. So you can preach the gospel with your Nikes. That's why I get I'm seeing the swish is the, holy, is the rapture. We're out of here. <laughs> run hard, run fast for Jesus. We've always got the victory in him. And someday, whoosh. It's called a whoosh. Whoosh, we're out of here. That came to me this morning. Somebody was praying for me that I'd be inspired, and it worked. It worked. I don't, you know what? I, you know, the freedom today for me is I'm not worried about what you think about me. If you think I'm goofy or stupid or whatever, I know you think I'm goofy. I'm concerned that people get it. You have to care more that people get it than they, whether they think you're cool or, or smart or sharp or any of that. My pastor, I said, how do you do what you do, John? goes, well, you have to care about the people more than you care about yourself. If you're going to teach and you're going to be expressive and you're going to do whatever, you can get all into yourself or you can just say, I don't care. Whatever will help people see. Uh, maybe somebody in this room will look at this tennis shoe <laughs> and be drawn to the idea of victory, of overcoming, because it's all found in Jesus Christ. 
It's all found. He has overcome the world. Jesus could be troubled, could he not? Yes, but not totally discouraged. In fact, in Isaiah 42, talking about him as the servant, he will not be discouraged until he's brought forth judgment to victory or judgment to injustice in the earth. And that doesn't mean as soon as he does that, he'll be discouraged. It means he's not going to be discouraged. He's going to get the job done. He's going to fulfill justice and righteousness in the earth, and you don't have to be afraid of that justice because you're covered by the blood of Jesus, and you care about it, and you want him. And I don't want to make excuses. They don't help me. I've never had an excuse that I've used help me do better, feel better in life. They just prolong my agony. How about you? I've never had being obstinate bring forth fruit and joy and peace in my life. But I had to follow with more obstinance. But peace, like a river, flows through my heart when I give my life to him and say, once again, Lord, I come to you. I know that you have overcome. I think that we need to pray. And I think that we need to pray for people who are discouraged. It's Satan's greatest tool, more than lust or pride, because he can get everybody with discouragement, that you would have courage. I think we need to pray for people who feel they need to be empowered with peace. You haven't been living in God's peace. You've been churning over stuff, and you don't know how to give yourself to him. And how do I know? I'd be wrong to say, well, just go and pray. Maybe this is a moment for you to come and claim that, and, and, that, and to say, well, it's got to start somewhere. Why shouldn't it start right now? Because what are you waiting for? What are you protecting? I don't know. He's the Prince of Peace. Maybe someone needs the Holy Spirit to come upon them again and to fill them again because we leak. Maybe you've never experienced his empowerment and you know that you want it. And he wants to answer your prayer and meet you. So I think people will come for many different reasons as Joel comes up and uh, begins to lead us in a song again. And then we're not going to ask you to be specific or individually tell us anything. This isn't a time where we're going to make you um, say anything, but you can come and kneel, you can come and stand, and then we're going to pray for you collectively collectively.